Chip, I'm thankful that you're here. I'm excited uh, to jump into our time in God's Word together today. Uh, such an important time of year, and I know our family feels it, and many of you do as well. Even if you don't have kids in school or you don't work for a school district, you, you feel the transition and the change that comes with the beginning of a school year, a significant time for everyone, I think, in our communities, and so I pray that you've been encouraged by being here today. One reminder that I want to make sure and mention before uh, we start our time in God's Word together, around the walls, uh, you'll see on the two sides are a group of uh, some pictures of all of our students uh, and what, what we do is we, we take one of those, we hang it on a refrigerator or a mirror or leave it in your car, wherever it's convenient for you, and we ask that you uh, take one of those and pray for that student over the course of this upcoming school year. If you're a guest this morning and you weren't a part of that and you want to be a part of that and you want your kid to be prayed over, if you'll find me or one of our staff, we would love, find, find anybody, if you don't know where I am, find somebody and they'll find me, we'll, we'll get it taken care of because we want to pray for your kids as well as you begin a new school year. It's a significant time. Now, the other thing I have to mention, we have some people out of town today, uh, but uh, I want to make sure that you go and pick one of those up after worship because we don't want any kids left behind or not prayed over. So if there's a few, that's fine because some of the folks who are out of town will come back into town. They'll ask us for those and we'll have those available. But be sure you, uh, to take one of those after our time in worship. And if you want also some ways to maybe inform the way you pray and you don't know the student well that you're praying for, also find uh, one of uh, the staff members and we'll be happy to point you to the, the family that that child belongs to so that you can maybe know how to be praying for them this upcoming year. So today, as we begin a new school year, a couple of our districts started this last week. I know Kaufman starts tomorrow. Uh, we're also starting a new sermon series. That seemed appropriate to, to begin a new series as we begin a new school year. And we're going to be in the book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, over the next couple of months. And this morning, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. If you have a Bible and you want to be turning there, you can. It'll also be up here on the screens, and you can follow along. We're going to have a, kind of a long reading this morning, some names that are difficult to pronounce. Some of you know my history with butchering Old Testament and New Testament names, so uh, be prepared for that. I'm going to do my best. Uh, but before we read Daniel 1, I want to give us a little context for, uh, for what we're going to read and what we're going to talk about this morning. The setting for the book of Daniel is the ancient city of Babylon. And Babylon was the capital city of the Babylonian Empire. And, and from about 600 to 300 BC, uh, it was the largest city in the world. Many historians believe that it was actually the first city to ever pass 200,000 residents. And so for, it's not only a big city, but it has a, it had a long history. For, for like 1,200 years, it's an important city. You compare that to just, you know, how old our country is here in America, 1,200 years is a significant amount of time. And, and Babylon sort of dominated the scene as long as they were around. And, and so Babylon's king, we're going to meet a guy this morning, was a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was a terrible, godless, egomaniac of a king. Uh, he ruled with fear, and in the process of ruling with fear, he actually did grow his nation into the most powerful empire on the planet at the time. And at the beginning of the story of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar and his massive Babylonian empire, uh, army goes in to tiny Jerusalem, and they conquer Israel. And in the midst of Israel falling into the hands of Babylon, we meet this guy named Daniel. And so this is how the story begins in Daniel chapter 1. 
In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that's Israel, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So Israel has now been conquered by Babylon. The articles from the temple of God, they carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of his court officials, his chief of staff, you might say, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned these Israelites a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen uh, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the chief official gave them other names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, the name Shadrach. Mishael, the name Meshach. And to Azariah, the name Abednego. But Daniel resolved, while they're in the king's palace, they're going through this training process, to not defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see you looking worse than all the other young men your age? The king then would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief, doesn't, chief official doesn't listen, so he talks to the guard. So he says to the guard whom the chief official appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So the guard and the chief official, they agreed to this and they tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all, of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds as well. At the end of the time set by the king, these three years, to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found no one equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's service. In every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. So I said a minute ago that, that Babylon was an important city, a significant city for a long time. And one reason that Babylon was a significant city for a long time was when they went to conquer another nation, they had this process that they would go through. And it would involve taking some of the, the best and the brightest of whatever nation they were conquering and taking them back as servants of Babylon. They would teach them the culture, the history, the language, the religion. They would teach them the values of Babylon. And this is, so this is what they do. 
And based on their potential, they put Daniel and his friends into this three-year training program. And their strategy with this was by, by taking these, these young men from other nations into their service was to sort of make them ambassadors. Some of the time, they would send these people back to their actual country where they were from to kind of be an ambassador between Babylon and that area. And some of the time, they would keep these people in Babylon, which is what they do with Daniel. And so here's the problem. Here's the problem with having been carried off to Babylon. At first glance, you might read that story and you might think, I'm not sure really what's going on. I'm not, I'm not sure what the big deal is. But there's several problems, obviously, involved in what's happening in Daniel chapter 1. The problem for the Jews that have been carried off to Babylon is that the way that the Babylonians viewed things was that if they defeated you, if they defeated you, it does not only mean that their military is stronger than your military. It also means that their god, Baal, or Marduk, he was sometimes called, was better than your God, Yahweh. So to admit defeat in that time in the ancient world meant that you were essentially saying, our God didn't save us. Our God is inferior to your God. So when Nebuchadnezzar conquers Israel and he takes Daniel and his friends back to Babylon and he enters them into this three-year training program, they are essentially asking them to admit that Yahweh is not the God that they have always claimed that Yahweh is. So there's obviously a lot at stake here, you can see. What will Daniel choose? What will his friends choose? Will they continue to follow God or will they become sons of Babylon, like lots of people choose to do to keep themselves alive? Will they follow the gods of that land? And in many ways, I think that this is the question the story is asking us as well. Will we choose to follow God? Or will we choose to follow the gods of the land that we live in? And so they're on their way back to, to Babylon. And the thing about Babylon is it was surrounded by a huge wall. And there were only a certain, certain entrances that you could go into, where you could go into to get into the city center. So imagine, if you will, Daniel and his friends, there's a battle. They've been dragged out of their homes. They've been taken off as to be put into this training program in Babylon. And as they're walking back, maybe in chains, certainly been beaten most likely, they're walking back into this city. They would have passed through these massive gates that were around, they were at certain points around the city wall. One of those is, a, is the gate of Ishtar. And this is a, recre a recreation, a reconstruction of that gate that's at a museum in Berlin, interestingly enough. But if you lived in that time, you would have known about Babylon Right? It's kind of like you might know about other countries and nations in our modern-day world. You know a little bit about them. You certainly would have heard certain things being said about them just from word of mouth. But now as you're a slave walking back into the city, you, you picture this huge gate that you're walking through. And these gates were designed to convey some specific things, right? Strength and power and might, there's a message, a clear message that is intended to be sent to the rest of the world, and that is, we don't lose. We're Babylon. And so picture Daniel and his friends beaten and stripped of everything they know against their desires, taken back to Babylon and put into the service of the king. And then on top of all of that, we're told that they change their names. And there's a significant thing happening here. The reason that they change their names is that they're not interested in just taking them as prisoners and servants. They want to change their identity. They actually want to change who they are. 
And this is, what they're, this is what they're doing by changing their names. In Hebrew, just to kind of explain this a bit further, in Hebrew, the name Daniel actually means God is my judge. But when the Babylonians change his name, I think we have a slide about that explains this, they change it to the most Babylonian name that they could have chosen, which you don't catch when you're just reading through it and you hear the word Belteshazzar. Right? Daniel means God is my judge, but when the Babylonians change his name, they change it to a name that means Baal protect his life. Baal is another way to say Marduk. Sometimes later it gets translated to another spelling of that word, but Baal is the Babylonian god. So instead of God is my judge, now it's the Babylonian god is the protector of this person's life. And I once heard someone say about this, that this would be like a Jewish boy named Joshua having his name changed to Hitler's servant. Like it's the worst possible thing that could happen to a Jewish man. But I want you to notice as we hear this story that Daniel doesn't seem to be bothered by this. He just accepts it almost. Why? I think it's because he sees it as a way to survive in Babylon. I think he's picking his battles. Right? It's like he's decided which things will bother him and which things will not bother him while he's living in Babylon. But everything doesn't bother him, apparently. He's not walking around as a God follower in every situation and saying, God would not be pleased with this and God would not be pleased with that. No, he's more subtle. He's more subversive. Instead, he's going to be fully immersed in the culture and the language and the religion and the customs and the values of Babylon He's going to know Babylon and the Babylonian way. And he's going to influence that culture in a more subtle and subversive way. He's going to use wisdom and discernment about how to navigate living in Babylon. And the name change, though it's incredibly offensive to him, it doesn't rattle him. It's as if he's saying, you can call me whatever you want to call me. You can call me whatever you want to call me, but I know who I actually am am. But there is one problem. While he's in this training program, he's being fed from the king's kitchen. And you might say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, there's pork coming out of the king's kitchen. And Jews don't eat pork. And there's probably some lobster and some shellfish and, you know, being rustled up for dinner too, right? And you can't be a Jew and eat those things because that's how they maintain their identity. They keep their calendar, their, their, their feasts and their fasts, and they remain kosher. So Daniel says, well, I'd like to not eat that. That's maybe not as polite. I don't know if he was polite or not, but he said, I'd like to not eat lobster. I'd like to eat, not eat, you know, bacon. I'd like to remain kosher. And the chief of staff of Nebuchadnezzar says, well, he likes Daniel, so he he says, well, you know, if you stop eating this, the king is going to take my head off, so we need to figure out a different arrangement. So Daniel proposes a test. He said, how about we go about this thing for 10 days? And at the end of 10 days, you see how we're doing, and then we'll go from there. So they do. He actually agrees to the test. And at the end of 10 days, they are the healthiest, we're told, and the best of the group. They've found a way to live and navigate living in Babylon. And so the question, of course, becomes how do we apply this? And the answer, of course, is today everybody from moving forward needs to become a vegetarian and only drink water. No, no certainly not. Hopefully not. 
Obviously, I'm kidding because the fact is Christians don't have dietary laws. Christianity doesn't have dietary laws. In Matthew, in Mark, Mark chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus says that what we eat isn't what makes us clean. What makes us unclean is actually what comes from inside of us in our hearts. Which means, praise God for bacon, right? If you want to eat crawfish and oysters and sushi, I mean, you can do all of that to the glory of God. And, uh, and you should. And I, and I could stop here. Like, this would be a really nice story. We could read the story about Daniel and it would, it would you know, being dragged off to Babylon getting his name changed, remaining kosher. It'd be a nice story. It's kind of clean. We kind of figured everything out, and, and we could move on. But the problem is it doesn't really apply to us still, right? That, what Daniel went through doesn't necessarily mean anything to us because we're not Jews. So how do we apply this story from Daniel chapter 1 to our lives? Here's what I think is happening. Daniel knows that when you eat what the nation is serving from their kitchen without discernment. When you eat what the nation is serving from their kitchen without discernment, you can become Babylonian before you know it. And so Daniel decides that he is going to give, he's going to give on some, some, some things, like his name. But then, and you'll see this the more as this series goes on, he is also going to look for the little ways the subtle ways, the subversive ways to challenge the authority of Nebuchadnezzar. But he still wants to keep his place of influence, so he's going to be subversively doing this. He's, it's, it's as if he's in his own kind of subversive, subtle way. He's saying, he's letting Nebuchadnezzar know, you don't own me, and you are not my master. You might be the most powerful king on the planet. You, you might live in the biggest city in the world, in the largest empire in the world. And I might be a small, insignificant Jewish man that you dragged from my home and put into your training program, but you are not my king. Which leads me, I think, to the first thing, the lesson that we learn from the story of Daniel. This is a story about knowing who you are when everyone else tries to tell you who you are. This is a story about knowing who you are when everyone else wants to tell you who you are. And I want to say specifically to students for just a minute that this year there are going to be some people that attempt to tell you who you are. And it will be important as you hear what they try to tell you that you already know who you are. You're God's child and you're made in God's image. And you don't have to listen to any voice that tells you otherwise. But we have to also be honest that that isn't true for just students. Right? Teachers, you're going to go to work long hours and you should work hard. You're not, you're not going to get enough recognition or enough credit. But your job is also not your God. My encouragement to you would be to give it your best effort and work as if working for the Lord to serve kids and to love kids, but to remember that you already have a king. And the same could be true for anyone else that those two groups doesn't apply to. And the fact is that in families and in marriages and in workplaces and in government and in politics and in schools, where if, if you don't know who you are in any of those settings, you'll do anything 
Sometimes we will do anything for the people that you think owe you more than they actually do. Right? For some of us, our past is our king. You're living today based on something from your past. Something happened. Someone said something and told you you weren't enough, told you that you weren't significant, that you weren't God's child. And today, may you look at Daniel's life and may you know how to live out of your true identity. There, there is even a real pressure I was thinking about this week as I was preparing for today. There's a real pressure that I know that some of us battle to pre- present ourselves as someone other than what we actually are. Social media has not helped with this at all. To live our lives based on someone else or the affirmation of someone else even. As if that is our king and we've allowed it to change our name and, lo- and started to live out of that identity. Are my kids in the right activities? Are they getting all their needs met? You have to look a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. Everyone has to be totally ready for the first day of school and then post your Instagram perfect picture, right, so everybody can see it. And the question that's lingering for us today is, I believe, the same question that Daniel was faced with. Our gods are different. But the question is, will we be a son and daughter of our circumstances, swayed by the things and the people around us, or will we live from an awareness of our true identity as as God's son and daughter? Will we be a son and daughter of Babylon, or will we be a son and daughter of the kingdom of God? I mean, Daniel is given an impossibly difficult situation. Think about it. Instead of caving to Nebuchadnezzar, Instead of selling out to Babylon, he says, I'm going to live here, but I'm going to develop this inner strength that allows me to say I am still God's child even though I live in Babylon. And I'm going to dare to be different. I'm going to live intentionally out of that identity. And like Jews living in Babylon, we as American Christians today face our own set of struggles and temptations because we too live in an empire, the wealthiest nation in the world. And there's certain blessings that come with that and there are certain challenges that come with that that sometimes we don't even see because we haven't been looking for them. Because though the reality is that nations like ours have particular temptations that are felt by Christians that live within those societies. We have to learn to navigate as God's people. How do we be engaged in our society in a responsible way? So that we're school teachers and students and bankers and plumbers and policemen and business people and doctors and nurses and public servants engaged in a responsible way with the culture. We're apart, but we're also apart. You with me? We're apart, but we're apart. How do we engage in our culture and our society in a responsible way while still living like the baptized people of God that confess Jesus is Lord? This is what I think we learned from Daniel chapter 1. And we're only getting started. The story keeps getting better. It gets more wild. Nebuchadnezzar gets crazier the longer that the story goes on. But all along, Daniel will follow God while living in Babylon. And, And I think what we know is that seeing Daniel do it can help us know that it can be done, that you can do it too. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful today 
for new beginnings and for new opportunities that come with the beginning of a new year, a new school year. And I pray again just your blessing over all of our area school districts and all the students that will fill the halls this year, that God, your hand will be upon each and every one of them, as Jeremy prayed a little while ago. You'll protect and guard and guide each one, that you'll give wisdom to the adults who lead our districts, to the adults that teach our students, that your spirit will rest upon each and every place, and that you'll work in the midst of those uh, places, Father. We ask today that you'll give us the courage to live out of our identity as your children, that we'll know who we are, even while we are often going to be told about who we should be by other people. And I pray that you'll help us to live out of a place of inner strength, confident and certain about our identity as your people, as your children, as your beloved creation. We thank you, Father, for examples like Daniel, who have given us a picture of what it can look like, an encouragement on our own journeys to know that it can be done. And we confess, God, that often this morning we know that we, we feel and we know this tension of the, that pulls us in the world to, to be a part, more a part of the world than we are set apart. And so I pray that you will, through your spirit, will comfort and convict and challenge us wherever we may be this morning in regard to that journey that we're all on. That you'll give us grace and wisdom for the journey that we walk, that you'll help us to remain faithful in a world that is not always interested in helping us be faithful. We pray in the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ and the church said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. If you have prayer needs, invite you again to text those in. Uh, We would love to pray for you and with you. However, we can do that as we sing this next song. Let's do that.